Welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Kalina Thomas of J. Margaret Weaver. So welcome to the show, Kalina. Hey, thanks, Allison. Yeah. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you. So um, as you said, my name is Kaylina Thomas. Um, I started J. Margaret Weaver um, earlier this year and um, really out of the need and in my mind, um, kind of a decade long need for professional women's workwear, um, which was very interesting to launch in the middle of COVID. Um, that need yeah. has changed, changed slightly um, with people working from home. Um, but my brand is all about um, really elevating um, workwear to something that is not only luxurious, but very attainably priced, very classic, timeless, and um, creating a sense of community as well. Cool. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you about a lot of things with that, but let's kind of start at the beginning. So um, do you have a background in fashion or kind of what were you doing to this point? Sure. So um, kind of interesting. I, I do not have a formal background. Um, I've always had a, a passion and a love for fashion and design. Um, my mom was just reminding me of a story when I was five. Um, I actually took some scrap fabric that she had and I tried to make my two-year-old brother a pair of pants. Um, mm-hmm. They did not fit. They were too little. Um, but I, I learned to hand so really young and I would make doll clothes. And I just, I loved clothes. I loved fashion. I loved the creativity that really came from it. Um, and the ability to kind of take an idea or colors or inspiration and the fact that you could kind of wear art, I thought was really neat and make a statement about yourself. Um, So I always loved that. And in high school, um, I had looked into going into some sort of fashion design. Um, I'm from a very small town in Ohio. And so in researching this, this it be, felt very daunting, this idea of going to New York or Paris and like completely out of my element growing up in you know small farm town, Ohio. Um, and so I decided to, in my mind, take maybe a safer route and go to business school instead, but thought, well, I could get in on the business side of fashion. And um, that would kind of maybe... Um, appease two desires. I love the creativity side, but I also grew up with parents who owned a small business. Um, they actually owned a little candy store. And so I saw a lot of you know the day-to-day small business operations. I loved solving problems. I loved working with entrepreneurs. And so I thought that was kind of the best of both worlds. Um, I did intern with a large retailer one summer and then ultimately ended going up into consulting. And um, at that time, that was right before the 2008 recession. And so my Mm. goal of going into retail uh, was kind of curved and I got pulled into healthcare projects where a lot of the demand was at and ended up taking this path into the healthcare industry um, for a little over a decade that while it did not have any um, intersections with fashion in the work sense, um, it caused me to see a lot of the gaps in women's fashion because I was having to dress up every day, whether it was a suit or just more business formal. And I found it very frustrating. Um, The idea of not being able to find suits that I felt like were age appropriate and affordable or clothing that was either too matronly or too um, really, um, so that was kind of my, my qualm or my beef with the women's fashion industry for the past decade that kind of led to, 
um, G. Margaret Weaver. Yeah, yeah. And it is hard to find um, like suits and nice professional clothing, especially like I feel like when you're just out of college and you're like, I need clothes to go to like a, a formal office for the first time, but where do I shop for that? You know, yes. where it's like quality and professional, but also not like thousands of dollars, you know? Um, yes. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. Um, yes. So, and it sounds like though you did have kind of a little bit of like familiar with entrepreneurship, like from your parents and stuff. Um, did, did you, you mentioned that you had wanted to maybe work in retail and you kind of went into bigger consulting, but did you always kind of have in the back of your head that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and start a business or did that kind of arise out of this, I, I need these clothes and I don't see them, so I guess I'll be the one to do it. Yeah, um, that's a great question. It's a little bit of both. So when I was younger, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was always trying to start my own businesses, whether that was like the very basic lemonade stand. I had a newspaper for a while. Um, I sold friendship bracelets. I, I was that person that kind of wanted to do everything and, you know, have their own little business. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. And um, going into college, I took an, I remember taking an entrepreneurship class and feeling again, very kind of intimidated by at the time. And this was probably 2004, 2005, um, they're talking about angel investors and venture capital and starting teams and raising money and big ideas. And I remember thinking like, this is really different from the main street USA business that I grew up with. Like mm -hmm. this, it was, you know, it, it was exciting, but it also seemed like, where do I even get this experience? Or there's so many barriers to getting there. Um, and at the time I'm, I'm dating myself a lot here, but this was like, just as Facebook was getting started and it was for mm -hmm. college students and there was no Shopify, there was no Etsy, there was no like all of these platforms that exist now that I think really break down the barriers to starting a business or make it easy to connect with people just weren't there. And so in my mind, I said, I'm going to take the safe route, the safe financial route. I'm going to go this, you know, very corporate path. And um, I did that primarily because I saw just so many barriers to the entrepreneurship thing, not that mm -hmm. I didn't want to do it. And I think the really exciting thing now is, um, and I actually had the chance to go um, and talk to a group at Miami of Ohio, where I went to undergrad, um, a group that's really interested in entrepreneurship is that there are so few barriers to entry and you know, you can get started very quickly with the access to technology that we have now. And so um I had the problem I wanted to solve, but I think also timing wise, um, it really seemed to work out the more I learned about how, um, not, I don't want to say easy because it's not easy, but easier than maybe 15 years ago, it is to start a business from a getting an online store, um, getting things set up, the cost to all of that. It is a little bit more realistic, I think, for someone to do um, as well. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a great point that like even entrepreneurship can look so different depending on, you know, like, let because I feel like there's normally the, in school, it's like, here's how to get a job at a big company. And that's kind of what we're led towards maybe. And, but then how even in more entrepreneurship classes or business classes aimed at helping you start a business, like even that is 
can be vastly different than what entrepreneurship actually looks like. There are so many ways to, you know, make a business and, and get started now that, you know, like you said, the, you know, angel investors and you raising money and growing a team, like that's not necessarily what you have to do either. Um, so was that, um, how did, how did you kind of see, cause I know, um, you did a Kickstarter, right? For your first collection, right? I did, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even that, like, how did you um, kind of get to the point of like, no, this is, this is my vision for J. Margaret Weaver and how I'm going to run the business, even though that was very different from kind of your big consulting job. And it sounds like very different from even like the entrepreneurship class that you took. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was through talking to a lot of people and learning a lot of different resources that were out there and that spanned the gambit from gosh, like listening to, to podcasts about small businesses and startups and hearing those stories. Um, mm-hmm. And I think hearing directly from small businesses and how they started um, that really broke down the, oh gosh, it's this very you know, theoretical, um, the huge thing that you have to do when it, you know, you have to go to Harvard business school and have you know, this kind of um, approach that you take. It can look lots of different ways. And so that was one thing that was really important. Um, I had a small team um, from my undergrad. Again, I had been part of a business fraternity and I'd reached out to them to see if they could do some very low cost market research for me mm-hmm. just to see and kind of test, is this actually a feasible idea or not? And they came back with um, a very objective report that showed there was a white space in the market. So that really helped um, just kind of give some confidence um, pulling lots of different people and seeing, am I the only one with this problem? Do other people feel this way? Where, like, what issues do you have? Because I was in this world. So, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of am my target customer, um, which a lot of times that's not the case. But for me, I am the target customer. I'm solving my problem. And I wanted to make sure other people had that um, same yeah. problem. And then working with um, Rightfully Stone. So I, um, all my all my clothes are made in Kansas City where I live. And it was very serendipitous um, as I was really thinking about this idea. I learned of an organization in Kansas City that not only does small batch production, which is so helpful um, because you, you have much lower minimum order quantities. And they're right here. I felt like as someone who's a novice in this, I could go and meet with them and see them and look at samples and um, really have a face-to-face conversation and explain and communicate better what I was envisioning mm-hmm. and um, to support them. They um, are a, a nonprofit doing some really cool things in the community and they helped me get plugged in with the Kansas City community, which was amazing. And then Kickstarter, again, it was, um, I think anytime I had a problem that I needed to solve, I, I wanted to take um, spending tens of thousands of dollars or borrowing money off the table. Um, just that mm-hmm. seemed like too much of a risk. And so, hey, what are other solutions you can find that don't include that? And my problem at that one point was, I don't know what colors or sizes I need. How do I predict demand when I have no data to predict it? Like you can't start from nothing. You can't forecast based on zero. Um, that doesn't make any sense. And I looked at, you know, are there any resources or any recommendations out there? And it's it's just all over the board. And when I thought about Kickstarter, I realized that if people were willing to pre-order, I could get all of the inventory demand from them up front and then Mm. fulfill it later. 
And so that solved that problem, but it also gave me the benefit of getting a lot of excitement and enthusiasm for people. People want to see you achieve a goal. People want to be part of something like a Kickstarter. It gets them excited. It's fun. They can see how you're progressing. They want to tell people about it, creates a buzz. Um, And so I hadn't even realized that when I was just trying to solve my inventory problem. Um, But that was just an amazing thing that Kickstarter really helped with as well, was creating this big buzz um, for people that generated Um, I think way more support and a a pretty narrow time limit on achieving a goal that if I had just tried to launch the business, I would never have gotten that otherwise. Nice. Yeah. And that's a great uh, benefit that I hadn't uh, typically thought of. Like normally you think of Kickstarter, you're like, oh, it's going to help me raise money to be able to do this. But for you, I, I love that you kind of approach from the angle of no this solves an inventory problem like I can forecast the demand like way more accurately than just launching and not knowing what to do um so that's really cool so I want to back up a little bit and and talk about so you were kind of realizing that you know over over your career that like these work clothes were hard to find Um, that you liked and that fit your aesthetic and were affordable. Were there other challenges that you are trying to solve with J. Margaret Weaver or were those kind of the main things from your experience and then from the market research that were the main challenges? Yeah, so there were um, two kind of related things that I was trying to solve for myself and then one more problem that came up in market research. The two things I was trying to solve as well where I would find a shirt or a dress or something that I really liked that fit me. And they'd say, this is great. I love this dress. I want to buy one in five colors and Mm -hmm. then I can rotate it and wear it. And a lot of times what I would find is that it would come in one or two colors and then it would go away. It would be gone and it Mm -hmm. would never to come back again. And it would be something that I finally found in this timeless style and design And all I wanted was to buy it in four or five colors, or all I wanted to do was when it maybe got old, ruined, I spilled something on it that I couldn't get out, or there was an issue or something that I would love to buy one in two two years from now. And um, with this world of fast fashion, that was not the case. It wasn't fulfilling that need. Um, and, And, or maybe they were changing the sizes, the patterns, I would find something that fit me. And then two years later, they would have changed the fit models and the design and it would no longer fit nicely. Um, and so that was really frustrating. And then so much of it was dry clean only. And so um, mm-hmm. for quite a few years, I was traveling every week, um, trying to stuff everything into this little carry-on suitcase. And then I'd come home, I'd take everything to the dry cleaners, have to pick it up and um, was just really sick of the dry cleaner for a number of reasons. Um, so found those things frustrating. And then as I talked to um, different women, um, looked at market research, and then also just read um, more about the the women's fashion industry, um, this idea of size inclusivity. So, you know, having sizes that are, um, go beyond size 14, I saw in a report um, that less than half of brands at that time, this was a few years ago, I think there's been a lot of progress on this, um, Mm -hmm. that they have sizing above a size 14, but 62% of women are a 14 or above. So they're missing a huge market. Um, I am more petite and, you know, a lot of brands don't have petite options. 
And mm-hmm. I found that frustrating. I have a lot of friends who are tall. And so um, as you know, I'd love to solve that problem better. And have we started with a larger range of sizes, um, kind of regular sizes. Um, so not the petites or the talls, but in the future, that would also be something as we expand that I'd love to um, tap into that and solve that as well. Cause I think great style and very classic style should be for everyone. And it should be something that's very easy to find what fits you. And then, you know, to, to my earlier problem that you can just buy over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So what was um, the first piece that you started with for J. Margaret Weaver? The first piece I started with was a shirt. I was originally years ago going to start with a suit and I'm so glad I did not do that uh, <laughs> because COVID that would have been a really, really bad thing to try and release um, in January, 2021. Uh, I don't know that I would have gone very far. And as I looked at just the cost of um, developing patterns and inventory and fabric and all of that, again, it was that, oh gosh, well, this is a problem. A suit seems um, like it might be more challenging and mm-hmm. okay, I, I don't want to just stop this idea. What can I do instead? And as I thought about it, I thought, well, what is something that everyone wears? You know, some, some people prefer pants or skirts. Some people like dresses Some people don't. Everyone wears a shirt, whether you're wearing it with pants or a skirt or over something, under something in a suit, whatever that is, everyone wears shirts. I thought that is like the easiest thing to start with. It's probably the simplest. It's something that's going to have the largest appeal to people And um, if I can query a number of people on what attributes are important to them in a shirt, then I can design something that hopefully the majority of people also like the design and it's very functional. It's what they're looking for. So that's what I started with. Cool. Yeah. And did you, so you did kind of a bunch more research then? It seems like you really like built on a lot of like customer research throughout this whole process. I did. I did because I learned that anytime I had an idea, it was um, oftentimes not what other people were thinking. So I had started with a sketch of a shirt as something that I loved, that I thought would be amazing and was really what I was envisioning. And I showed that sketch. Plus I grabbed six or seven different pictures of shirts that had completely different looks and attributes and all sorts of things about them. And I showed it to a number of people who um, I trusted and you would give me honest feedback and no one liked my style for specific reasons, like my design. Mm-hmm. And then everyone picked the other, a different shirt, but they all picked the exact same one. And I said, well, why is that? Like, what is it about this shirt that you like? Um, and they said, it's got a higher neck. So it, you know, when you bend over, no one can see down your shirt. The fabric mm-hmm. is completely opaque. So you don't have to wear something underneath it. Um, it has a back fasten instead of a front fasten. So that way, you know, you're not buttoning it up to the front and maybe having any sort of gaping buttonholes. And, um, you know, it's just a really easy, simple kind of, um, fasten in the back. So they really liked that. They liked um, something that was long sleeved. They wanted it to have, um, a length that would be long enough to tuck in, but you could wear out and wouldn't look sloppy, um, you know, things like that. And then I added in some of the elements of um, having it more fitted at the waist, having a very gradual slope in the hem. So it wasn't just straight across cutting you off at oftentimes the widest part of our bodies. And um, so it was really a combination of their feedback and guiding, okay, what are the things that are important to the average woman about how she looks and how a shirt will look and feel and fit her? 
So true. And I'm all for the customer research like that because it can like often really change, you know, your design or, or opinion. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it's like, wow, that's something that like a feature or something that I never thought about or, you know, because it not, it not only gives you the, the design inspiration and feedback, but also then kind of the selling points too. Like now, you know, you can describe the shirt as like, oh, it's a higher neckline. So when you bend over, it's not going to, you know, people won't be able to see down your shirt. Like that's something like a talking point then that people can relate to, which can be so useful in like many ways. Yeah. Yes, it, it absolutely is. And I think people see that um, there's not only a lot of thought that's been put into it, but again, like my a big theme that I think is so important with my brand and um, I would love to, I want to grow more um, It's as a person, you know, a solo entrepreneur, it's um, you're always facing the challenge of just time is your, your biggest um, limit. But really that sense of community of people feeling like this was, I had a hand in designing this. I had a piece in, you know, what this looks like. And mm-hmm. so feeling that sense of ownership and that sense of community, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah, totally. So did you, um, like, how did you stay in contact with these people? Like, you know, with the this community that you were building through the development process? Like, it sounds like you were really kind of, keeping them informed on how things were going even before you launched. Yes. Yes. And a lot of that was, um, email list, um, texting you a lot of people that I know well, just texting, reaching out, emailing, sending them samples to try on, um, ahead of time and giving feedback on that before we finalized things. Um, I mean, a little bit of social media, but for me, at least at the beginning, a lot of it was the very like one-on-one personal interactions, um, just staying in touch with people, phone, text, email, um, physical product samples, those sorts of things, I think made the biggest difference and um, were the ways that I was primarily communicating. And then I really started to get my email list going, sending out information, on a broader scale so I could scale my time because that was very, it was very time intensive um, mm-hmm. to spend that much one-on-one time. But I also felt like to build trust with people, um, that initial time was really important and to show that I really did value um, their opinion and really valued just the role that they had played. Um, that, that I think, as I look back, is where I think I'm happiest about where I spent my time, even though it did require a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so where, like, were these um, like family and friends primarily, or where did you, like, where do these people come from? Um, primarily family and friends. Um, a lot of, a lot of friends and colleagues, um, you know, between the different places that I've worked or going, um, and get going back to business school and getting an MBA. I had a pretty large network of people that just were already in the same boat. So I think that was a huge benefit to having a network of people who were all wearing the same things that I was. Um, I think for a lot of designers that can be very different. Um, my, like my particular niche was me and all the people I work with. And so that was really helpful to just know all sorts of people. And then they also connected me with um, other people who they said, you know, this person would be interested in this or this person wants to participate in a survey or um, kind of get involved. And so really that in my initial network and then kind of referrals from there, getting people plugged in from there was really helpful. 
Cool. Yeah. Seems like people are like very important to your process. And even like, so I'm curious, is there a, a story behind the name of your brand? Because even J. Margaret Weaver sounds like, is that a person? Um, kind of. So it's a combination for trademark purposes. I do want to be clear. Um, and it's J. Margaret Weaver is not a, like that is not a person. Um, that's mm-hmm. actually very interesting. They ask you that question in a trademark. Is this a real person? Um, but it is a combination of names. And so um, these people are very important. They had uh, a different name to begin with and um, really wanted something that was very personal and reflective of who I am and who the brand is. And so the J stands for James, my son. Um, Margaret is my daughter's middle name, Anne Margaret. And then Weaver is actually my maiden name. And something I think is um, just really neat with a textile tie-in, a really good friend of mine, she um, has a background in marketing. She'd helped me kind of brainstorm names. And she actually brought that up. She said, why, why aren't you using Weaver? Like Weaver has this huge kind of textile fabric, you know, design tie-in. Like that would be really cool to incorporate into your name. And I thought, that's a great idea. And mm-hmm. so um, kind of mashed all of that up together and um, you know, tried to create something that was reflective of who I am, but also felt like it um, could fit with the brand that, you know, kind of a, an upscale women's fashion brand as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cool. And I know that you do that. The, uh, each of your pieces is named after a real person though. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Yes. That is, um, I was just telling my mom last night, I said, this is like one of my favorite things and it is always such an emotional moment. Um, so each piece um, is named after someone that anyone, customer, or even if you're just on our email list and you get, um, you'll, you'll get information about this as well. So you don't actually have to purchase something, but if you're part of our email VIP list, um, you'll see requests for this from time to time um, where we ask you to nominate someone to honor with a design. And so just, it's very quick. Um, I ask for, you know, your name, their name, and then the story of, you know, why this person has inspired you or mentored you. Um, what have they done for you? Kind of what, why do you think they are deserving of um, a, a, this honor? And the stories, I mean, are just amazing of, of people. Um, it's usually women, um, but sometimes people have nominated different men as well. And um, to see the, um, the stories, the ways that people are giving back to other people. Um, the sometimes it is um, a, in a professional setting, and it's you know someone who's mentored someone. Sometimes it's people who have helped someone overcome tragedy in their life, or um, who really maybe been um, a mom and has helped someone not only growing up and maybe in a very difficult situation, but also as a professional and the things that they have helped. Um, their daughter with professionally. And so I go through all of these and um, pick a name for each piece. And then the person who's honored gets um, a free video of the design of their choice. And so um, like the Barbara dress that we just launched, for example, I actually had a chance to meet Barbara this week. Um, and she's just such a wonderful, intentional, um, lovely person. And Barbara um, will get her dress. Um, so she's picked out what she wants. She got to try a bunch of pieces on. Um, we had a lot of fun and she's um, just, again, a lovely person. So she gets her dress or the Kathleen top. Um, Kathleen gets um, her, her top. 
And um, as I've talked to the people who nominated them, um, they both just said how, um, how special it was when they got to share, I nominated you for this. There's a piece of clothing that's being named after you. Here's what I said about you. And as I just said, both people were moved to tears and mm-hmm. so appreciated hearing that what they did, which they felt like was, you know, just doing what they needed to do, um, that that had been recognized by someone and was really important to them and that the person took the time to nominate them. So um, that it was an idea from um, the Miami University group who did the market research and I cannot thank them enough for that. It is just, I think one of the coolest things that makes our brand unique. And I I hope other people see that that's kind of the epitome of the brand. It's creating community, it's recognizing people and um, just doing something very different in the fashion world. Yeah, that is so cool to like hear the stories and um, of the people that are, you know, now now wearing your pieces. Um, that's always so cool to hear. So once you had all this research and you had the shirt design, like what got you from there to actually launching the brand? Um, yeah, so I took sketches, samples, ideas um, to rightfully so. And I said, here's what I'm thinking. What Actually, I first met with them and just said, I know I have no background in fashion. I'm, I'm, it's kind of funny. I look back on it. Like they're going to think that I'm crazy. I think I took a copy of my resume and just said, I actually have business experience. I know I don't have any fashion experience, but like, here's who I am. I'd love to work with you. I will figure this out. I am someone who um, has done that in the past. And I know that I have a very non-traditional background, but I would really appreciate the opportunity to work with you. And um, please trust that I'm not wasting your time. And um, they were, were gracious enough to give me a chance and say, yes, you know, we can, we can work with you and um, fill in the gaps and answer all the really silly questions that you ask of us, because I ask a lot, I still ask a lot of those. Um, I'm sure they're not silly questions. They're probably, I think just more basic questions that if you had grown up in the fashion industry, you would know, but I like to think that uh, I bring a very different perspective, like the functionality perspective. And so mm-hmm. I like to ask the okay, help, like, help me understand what a sloper is. Like, why do you need a sloper? What does that do? And um, not saying you don't need it. I'm just trying to understand what's the value or what's the purpose of it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I met with them and then just started taking lots of samples. So ordering sample fabrics, um, having sketches. um, They, um, I had had some very basic sketches and they walked me through, okay, here's what we really need from you so we can bring this to life. Um, I took some different shirts that I had and said, okay, I like the color here. I like this, the cuff here. I like how this part fits. And we went from like very basic prototypes um, and seeing how those fit on um, a fit model to then bringing that to, okay, we're now we're going to use the fabric that I've selected and the fabric also is kind of the theme of everything. I had lots of people look at it and say, which do you like? and going from, you know, creating samples then with that fabric and tweaking it from there. And we um, did a lot of, a lot of tweaking um, of the samples. I sent it out to different people to try on. Um, they would give back feedback, like they, you know, maybe didn't like the neckline. They thought it was too narrow. So we um, changed and made the neckline a little bit bigger. Uh, we changed the sleeve length a little bit. Um, I asked them questions, you know, what creates a lot of complexity in your production where it's not really value adding 
And just so I can maintain that affordability aspect, Mm -hmm. especially things made here in the U.S. tend to be more expensive. So are there aspects of the sample where you'd say that really has no value, but it creates a lot of complexity in our end. Um, how can we, you know, change that? Yeah. And that's a really smart question to ask. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I thankfully having a, a background in, in business, um, you, you see a lot of that. And so you see where it's okay. You're, you're, you're doing something, but the customer doesn't care about that. The customer's mm-hmm. not going to pay for that and, and they don't care. And it just adds to your cost. And that's, there's just no point in doing that. Um, I think as a small business, especially everything you do needs to be adding value for your customer as much as possible. Um, are th- you know, doing things and spending your money on things that they care about, not on things that you know you think are important or that don't really matter to them. Mm-hmm. So you said you launched uh, earlier this year in 2021. Yes. Yeah. How did the whole Kickstarter process go? And I know you did some virtual kind of like launch kickoff meeting, you know, uh, kind of parties and little pop-ups and stuff. So how did that piece of actually launching and then selling the collection go? Yeah. So um, the Kickstarter process went, went really well. Um, Kickstarter was a really easy platform to use. Um, I, I found that um, people, even people who weren't familiar with Kickstarter upfront, um, I did a lot of education or ex- explanation on what is Kickstarter? Like, what do you get? Why, how do you use it? How do you make a pledge? A lot of that. So it did require, cause it's a different, um, sales model than just going and shopping online. So mm-hmm. even for people that are used to online shopping, this is different. And so I had to do a little bit of education and explanation for that to get people comfortable using a different platform, Um, the virtual parties. And I also did an in-person launch in Kansas city at rightfully sewn at their atelier, which was really neat. So people got to see where the clothes were being made and who was making them and really connect Mm -hmm. that. Okay. These are real people um, who are living in this community who have a career path now, um, because most of the times these are people who are refugees or they were uh, maybe victims of domestic abuse or homeless. Um, This is giving them a career path. So a lot of those things really made it real for people. Um, I had some guest speakers on the virtual events. Um, One of them, she's a professor of leadership. So she did a session for people, again, really trying to give value to people um, I think is important whether or not they wanted to support the Kickstarter. It's about creating community. It's about helping people have information and um, learning, kind of challenging their ideas about things or helping them grow. And um, all of those things, I think, were really helpful in getting the message out and communicating what was happening and, um, and just solidifying what the brand was as well. And then after the Kickstarter, um, one of the things that I've just seen and the, the retail setting that has really surprised me from research that I did earlier was that in-person is so beneficial, especially in clothing. Um, people want to see things and touch things and try it on. Um, they want the experience of, of getting it and maybe being with the designer or the experience of the purchase. Um, that's not to say that online isn't important. I think online is an important platform, but there was an interview I listened to with um, someone who's a a leader in the online retailing industry. And this was about a year ago. And he said, you know, in-person shopping is dead. It's over. It's over. It's all online now. 
And at least in my experience, I, I, I don't want to make broad statements, but in my experience, that has not been the case. People love shopping in person, being together, um, whether that's virtual or um, in person. And especially as a newer brand, the pop-ups um, have just been critical to make having brand awareness, meeting people, getting feedback, uh, having people try it on. And I think building some trust that maybe over time leads to more online. But if, at first, especially, I think pop-up and, and just in-person retail is really important. So, I mean, that's an interesting point. So how what was it like kind of, well, first of all, launching a workwear brand during a pandemic when so many people were working from home and then also like planning a launch and incorporating those in-person you know, aspects where people can touch and feel and kind of experience the whole product and brand um, during this pandemic. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, the first, on the first point of like how to sell workwear when everyone was working from home, um, I'm very, I'm very grateful a lot. I mean, the, the core of my Kickstarter supporters were friends and family who I think, you know, I probably could have designed something awful and they would be gracious enough to support me. So I have a huge thank you to so many of you for that. Um, but I really tried to also you know, lead off with we aren't always going to be working from home. And even if you are, um, I'm someone who, you know, I don't wear a suit when I'm working from home, unless I am interviewing someone, but I do like to get dressed more dressed up. And I do feel different when mm-hmm. I am um, dressed, you know, not in my sweats or not in leggings. And that's not to say you can't do that some of the time or, you know, as much as you want. I know people who wear that every day and work from home and they're great. Um, but for me, especially as someone who has little kids and you know, is often getting food and you know all of the all the mom things on them, it's a treat to get to dress up too and to do something for yourself. And I think so many women for so long had not bought anything for themselves, at least something that was nice. Maybe they were buying maybe sweatshirts or loungewear, but not something that was giving hope that at some point we were going to all so in some way be together in some hybrid way, or at some point we will be together. And I think it was that sliver of hope of like, this is temporary. Um, the world will open up again. And even while you're working from home, you can still dress up and look great too. And so that was an aspect of it that I think was very helpful. And, um, and then with the, um, in-person event, um, that was really small, um, people that I knew, Um, I had a very strict policy in my house that no one was allowed to go anywhere for two weeks prior because I said, we get COVID, I have to cancel this. I'm going to be really a sad. So we were very strict in my house as far as um, actually leaving and what would, what would happen and having little kids, um, especially with it also being flu season. uh, We were, Mm -hmm. we were already really careful as well. And um, people, you know, we were just very safe, very careful with having the in-person event. I had bottles of hand sanitizer everywhere and everyone was wearing masks, masks and, um, and all of that. And so I think, um, one of the comments I got, that was really interesting was people were just excited to be out, even though it was a small group, there were maybe 15 people there. Yeah. People were just excited, even though everyone's like standing 10 feet apart and a little nervous and feeling a little awkward. Then everyone started to warm up and was like, there's just people and I'm around people and conversation and adults. And this is so wonderful. So fun. So well, I'm glad it I'm glad it worked out and you were still able to do some of the in-person launch party at Rightfully So. And that seems like it was a great way for people to, you know, build community and get to know kind of your whole process and how things were being produced. Um that's so cool. 
Um, so how did you end up meeting Rightfully So? Um, I saw them um, through a, another business that, um, another small business here in Kansas City um, that I just shot at um, quite frequently. It's in a completely different category. It's in like home, home goods and home textiles. Um, but they had mentioned working with them. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I, they had linked to their website and I thought, well, I'm going to just take a look at this. And um, really from there, once I was at the point where I said, okay, I'm ready to actually explore this. Um, I just reached out to them on their contact page. I had reached out to a couple different um, places around the country. They're the only in, in Kansas city, um, but I reached out to a couple different places and they were the only ones who replied back and said they were willing to meet and that what I wanted to do, they could do. So there were a few places that came back and said, we don't think we have the capabilities to do what you're doing or really focused on something else. Um, and so it was just, again, very serendipitous that being right here in Kansas city, they also had the production capabilities and the capacity at that time to um, take on um, what I was looking to do. So that's how I got plugged in with them. Yeah. So cool that you were able to go like meet them and go see like the space where the pieces were being made. So during this whole process of starting Jim Margaret Weaver, what was maybe like the most surprising bit? Like, it seems like you were very well prepared and well researched and like things kind of fell into place in some way, not to say that you didn't work hard, but like, you know, you were able to find a factory, which is um, oftentimes one of the hardest things for new brands um, to do is find their production partner. Um, but was there anything that maybe was different than what you expected or like surprising during this process? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, I kept, I think the whole time I kept doubting, okay, is this, am I on the right path? Should I even be doing this? Um, and because some of those things you mentioned were so easy, um, I was like, okay, is this a sign? Like I need to keep going. So some of it was even just in my own head of, um, being very nervous to put myself out there and mm-hmm. do something. And what if it failed? And then everyone would know that it failed. And that for me was probably like the worst part or the biggest fear of all of it. Um, and seeing how much that bothered me. And I think the personal growth that came from that of saying, I want to do this anyway, even if I fail, even if I have to go back and everyone I know sees that it didn't work out. Um, they're not, hopefully, at least I don't think um, anyone that I know would hold that against me or say, oh gosh, Kayleen is a failure. Um, but that I, I really saw how, um, how important that was to me or how bothered or nervous or scared it made me. Um, so that was something really surprising. And I think also just learning how little I knew about the fashion industry and how, gosh, I mean, you have to be planning things six to 12 months in advance. And then you add in COVID and supply chain issues and that creates problems and um, it's very capital intensive. And so um, and as someone who wants to grow kind of at the speed of cash, um, that means that you're growing a lot slower. And I mean, just, it seems like every day something, I'm learning something new, something's different. It's, um, it is a new lesson, a new problem. Um, but that's also something that I think has kept me engaged because it's not, uh, it's not stale or it's not eat too easy. I think if I, if it, that were the case, I'd probably be kind of bored and I'd be ready to move on. And <laughs> instead it's always a new challenge. It's always something different. Um, there's always a different 
thing to learn about or a problem to solve. And um, that's one of the things as frustrating as that has been. It's also probably been one of the things that I have enjoyed the most. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the silver lining of it is the learning experience and the, yeah, kind of like rise to the challenge, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely like timelines and supply chains. I know have been crazy the past a uh, uh, year and a half or so, or maybe coming up on two years. It's time has gone by so, so strangely the past year, but yeah. So, so um, what is one thing that you're like most proud of so far in your business journey? Um, I think the, there's a lot of things that make me excited. I think it, how, um, how supported I have felt by so many people. Um, you know, I, I tend to be someone who just goes and I, I actually a, a blind spot I have is just stopping and appreciating relationships and, um, reminding myself to appreciate people or focus on that. And I've, I've gotten better. It's been something I've worked on. Um, but I have just been humbled by how many people are excited or supportive and encouraging and, um, give honest feedback or, you know, come to events and, um, just all of those things. I mean, it's not even that you, that they are or have to buy something. It's the enthusiasm or excitement, support, um, just that outpouring of, um, real love and encouragement that has been amazing. I think, especially when there's so many things that people um, disagree about or are divisive, like this is something that I am just humbled at how many people have really touched me with, um, how, how genuine their support is and excitement for me. And, um, Mm -hmm. I, I've been very blown away by that. Does that kind of help combat what you're saying about of the kind of vulnerability of putting yourself out there in a public way and in a way that you can fail? It sounds like, um, have you really overall had positive feedback and support from those around you? Yeah, yeah, I have. And, and even if at some point this, you know, I'm not able to grow it or scale it or, you know, it's, it's not as successful as I want, um, I feel like for the people that are involved, that they would um, be nothing if not like completely supportive and thoughtful and kind. And, um, you know, so it makes the idea of failure. Um, well, I hope that never happens. I would hate that. Um, again, it's creating this environment that it's okay to fail or it's okay to try something and not have it work and then try something else. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. that's part of learning. That's part of iterating. I've tried things that haven't worked. And then instead of dwelling on it, which I've been happy, I've had to intentionally tell myself to do this instead of dwelling on it, say, okay, well, how do you fix it? How do you do something else? How do you just own it and say, you know what? I tried something and it wasn't a good idea. And so I'm going to try something different. And that doesn't mean I'm a terrible person or a failure or not as, you know, talented. If I dwell on it, then that's a problem, but let's just fix it and not worry about it and do something else. Yeah. It sounds like you have a wonderful support system in that way, which it makes it way easier. Like you said. Um, so I have one more question that I ask at the end of every interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? Um, one value I would say 
the one value I would love to convey is the just the sense of community and people. Um, and I think you know, that's kind of been the theme of our conversation, but that this is about mm-hmm. connecting people. It's about empowering women. It's about making you feel confident, but knowing that you are part of a community and a community of just amazing people who want to support each other. And so I think that is um, the most important thing. And if you are a woman out there who is looking for work clothes and also wants that sense of community, I think um, I'd love for you to check out our brand. I think that you know our values and what we are about um, really align. And so, yeah that's what we're that's what we're all about awesome and I'm actually going to throw in one more question and say what is next for Jane Margaret Weaver um what's next so getting ready for um holiday um and we're going to be doing um our original, our first shirt, the Mimi, and a really pretty kind of jewel Bordeaux color. Um, so that will be coming out. And then next year, um, adding a couple more pieces, a short sleeved top and a really pretty petal sleeve. Um, and then I'm taking on the challenge of pants. I think I've, um, I'm, nice. I'm ready to take the plunge. I know pants are really difficult, <laughs> um, but ready to take the plunge and do some bottoms and really be able to kind of pull together a full capsule wardrobe that you would be able to mix and match all these different pieces and, you know, create 15 different outfits with five or so six pieces. So, so that's what's next. Cause yeah, now you have your original Mimi shirt and then you have a new fall shirt and a dress. And so then um, adding pants and a short sleeve, it sounds like will really kind of create that whole capsule. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So really, really looking awesome. forward to it. So fun. Well, this has been really cool, Kalina, to hear more about kind of your background and the whole story. I know we've talked previously and I've heard a little bit of it, but um, I learned more about it today, which is awesome. Um, it's been very inspiring. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. And where can people find out more about you and J. Margaret Weaver online? Sure. Yeah, I, we are at um, www.jmargaretweaver.com. That's our website. Um, and that's where we have both our online store, but also the J. Margaret Weaver journal. So there's blog posts and interviews with different women, different content out there that um, really, again, ties into our, our mission and our values, what we're all about. And then we're also on um, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn's really big. Um, for us as well. And you can find those all at j.margaretweaver. Awesome. I will include links to those in the show notes. Thanks for joining me today, Kalina. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. It was great to chat with you again. Yeah, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.